Hello there. I am Manny Mello and not Chris Haydet, and you probably figured that really quick. So um, good to good to see. You. <laughs> Don't know if you'll do that after, but anyways, good to be here tonight. Uh, basically, uh, Chris Haydet is in India with a group of people from uh, from our church, and so um, basically, you know, you'll learn tonight that. Uh, Noah had probably about 100 to 120 years to prepare and build the ark. I had a few hours to prepare for tonight, so hopefully I'll do, do justice for tonight. But anyway, just a couple of announcements. Again, I'm Manny Mello. I'm the actual singles pastor here at uh, Cornerstone for singles 35 plus. And uh, I don't know if there's any of you here tonight that are in that group, but uh, if you are, it's uh, good to have you with us. And uh, I also, there's a primetime group that meets on uh, Sundays at 11.55 in room A103 for, for those that are... Uh, 50 and above, and then of course we have the focus on Monday nights, every Monday night from uh, 6.30 to 8.30, and we just are having a great time. Matter of fact, Ryan Axtell led our worship last night, and uh, we had a room packed full. We're excited about what God's doing in that area, so if you are in that area and not aware that there's something going on on Monday nights, and you happen to be uh, a single, 35 and above, feel free to come out and join us. Now, again, if you happen to be 32 or 31 or 30, we don't card you at the door, so don't worry about it. You can still come, okay? And so, uh, anyway, um, I've been working with singles for about 25 years, and so it's exciting. And so is my wife, who's a life coach. I don't know if she's here tonight, but if she is, uh, she uh, does a great job. But uh, real quickly, again, my, na- my, tr- my real name is Manny Mello. I've had people go, Manny Mello, is that really your name? Because I used to work at a radio station many years ago, and people said, is that your radio name? I go, no, that's my real name. So, anyway... Um, and, of course, I used, they used to kid me when I was growing up that I was going to marry a girl named Marsha, and she'd be Marsha Mello. Uh, I've got kidded about that quite a few times. So, uh, matter of fact, there was a, a family that had a daughter, and we were kids growing up. And they go, keep those kids away from each other. You don't want them to get around each other. So, anyway, just a couple of announcements. Next week, there will not be the mine. will not be meeting. Instead, uh, Pastor Lynn is going to be sharing. They're calling it the Purple Chair Dessert Night. It's kind of a family night, but also an opportunity to share Pastor Lynn's vision for what's going to be happening in the future. So uh, please put that on your on your calendar to be here next week uh, at this. I think it's from six thirty until about eight o'clock, and it'll be a great time for him to share a vision for what's going to be happening here at Cornerstone. Real exciting, okay? Um, uh, Pastor Chris again uh, uh, is in India. He'll be back uh, the following week on February fourth, Tuesday on Tuesday night to continue on in the series. Uh, which is basically a journey 180, which uh, obviously we're going to continue tonight and talking about, um, if matter of fact, if you haven't got one of these here, I'm going to just show you. This is uh, journey, one, <laughs> hello. journey 180, this packet here, and it shows basically all the things, um, the calendar of what's happening and all the different topics that are going to be shared each Tuesday night as well as he has also a, um, a practical application that he teaches on Sundays in the tent at 10.30, which kind of uh, goes into more detail on some of the things that he shares on Tuesday night. So anyway, um, if you have any questions about that, uh, hopefully that gives you kind of a capsule of what's happening. Uh, again, I'm excited to be here tonight and hope that we can really get into the Word and discuss some things that are happening. Now, I was under the impression that there might be some... Uh, things here that would show kind of the, uh, the dialogue of what's happening in this journey. But basically, I'll just share with you, real we're, we're looking at tonight, Noah and the flood. And if some of you may have gotten this last uh, Sunday, if you were in the class at 1030 in the tent, it kind of gives you an overview of some of the things that will be covered as you go through the series. 
And basically, um, <clears throat> before Noah, which is what Pastor Chris went through last time, uh, he talked about that there's a timeline. And again, the timeline is not exact because you can't be exact, but again, it gives you increments of time and kind of like a signpost of uh, certain events and people so that you can kind of know kind of what's going on through the, uh, the process. And basically, you're looking at before Noah, about uh, 4,000 B.C., uh, basically is when they kind of considered that the, uh, the creation took place. And then Noah takes place about 2,500 B.C. Then we go to Abraham, which is about, and it goes to increments of about 500 years to cover the, the whole process back to the time of Jesus. So we look at 2,500 uh, B.C. would be where we are tonight as far as the Noah. And then 2,000 B.C., we're looking at Abraham. Then another 500 years, 1,500 B.C. would be the time of Moses. And then at 1,000 B.C. would be the time of David. Then 500 B.C. would be the time of Daniel. And then the next 500 years would be zero, where we have the birth of Jesus Christ. So that's kind of the timeline that we're going through in this series. So how many of you got notes and you came in today? Did you happen to pick up the notes that were in, uh, up in the front? If you didn't, there are notes for what we're going to be going over through tonight. So hopefully I can help you to follow along with what we're going to be doing tonight. So uh, what I'd like to do right now is open up in prayer and ask the Lord to direct our time together and that he would be in total control of what's going on tonight. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for the privilege that we have to be here tonight. We thank you for your word that is true. And Lord, we just pray that your Holy Spirit tonight would be in complete control, and that the the things that we share tonight, Lord, would be inspired from your spirit, and Lord, that we would just seek your face, and thank you for the privilege that your word is here to bring us uh, light and life, to help us better understand what it is you want us to know, and Lord, maybe from this study tonight, we come away with a better understanding of really what took place, and in the background and the history of Noah and the flood, and we pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Okay, uh, well, if you would open your Bibles, you probably want to go to Genesis uh, chapter 5 and chapter 6, if you want to begin there. And, um, and basically, when you think of Noah, what comes to mind? Anybody? The flood? Okay, good. What else? The big boat. The big boat. Absolutely. All right, you know what? That was absolutely right. What else do you think of when you think of Noah? You get the think of the flood, you think of a boat. What else do you think of? Animals? Obedience? What else? What? Being naked? Okay. That prob- they probably were naked on occasion. I'm probably, that's, um, is that what, maybe I misunderstood you. I'm sorry, my, my ears aren't doing too well here. <laughs> um, how about 40 days and 40 nights? I mean, you think of the fact that it rained 40 days and 40 nights. So that's a pretty good... And if you're from Seattle, you're going, hey, that's no big deal. That happens all the time, you know, okay. But um, so then we want to ask the question, there was obviously a flood. Why was there a flood? I think if you want to understand the background of what we're going to be looking at tonight is there was a flood and there was a reason for that flood. And it's very important for us to get a background. And for us to understand that, we want to go to Genesis chapter 4. Actually, let's go back to Genesis chapter 4. And we're going to be looking at uh, verses uh, 10 through 15. And uh, basically, if you look back, it says that, uh, and he said, what have you done? Of course, we know that Cain killed his brother, Abel. And God is saying, and what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth 
which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And then Cain said to the Lord in verse 13, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. Well, when you look at that and you go, and anyone who finds me, well, who's anyone? Where do these people come from? I mean, we know that Cain and Abel were the first two offspring of Adam and Eve. And all of a sudden, you've got all these people. Anyone may kill me. Well, obviously, you, you begin to understand that this obviously shows that the population of the earth by then had greatly increased. And as a wanderer and a scavenger, now he's going to be wandering around, and there's obviously going to be people. Now, we have to understand that there's things that the Bible doesn't give us specifics about, but we have to imp- understand that we have to imply that there was obviously a lot of time between the time of Adam and Eve when they had Cain and Abel, that there was a time when they began to have children, they had sons and daughters, and they began to multiply because that was the command that God gave them to multiply and to fill the earth. And so there had to be a number of years that had gone by, probably hundreds of years, that the population of the earth had began to grow. It's pretty obvious because he's concerned about his life. He said, anyone may kill me. Well, it means that there's people out there that had an understanding of right and wrong and realized that in some way he's going to have a mark on him and that they were going to be coming after him. So then we look at verses 23 and 24, and we see something very interesting. And it says, then Lamech said to his wives, now Lamech, of course, uh, was a, uh, an, an offspring of Cain. And it says, And Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, wives of Lamech, listen to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. And if Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. And basically here what we see is the effects of the fall became very apparent. Here we see Cain, a murderer of his, son, of his brother. Now all of a sudden, you know, you've heard of generational curses all of a sudden, you begin to see that here his own, one of his own sons begins to be a murderer also and begins to kill, it says here, a young man for just hurting me. Uh, that sounds like, you know, what kind of a world do we live in? When was the last time somebody hurt you? Did you feel the need to go out and murder them? Probably not. That just kind of shows you all really what was beginning to happen in terms of attitude and mentality as it was beginning to filter down from Cain's line, which was basically the ungodly line. Now, the genealogy of Cain is in chapter 4, verses 16 to 22, which was basically the ungodly line of Adam. Now, if you look at verse 17 in, in chapter 4, 16 through 22, we see the name Enoch. Now, Enoch was not to be confused with the Enoch in the godly line of Seth, which is coming in chapter 5, verse 21. Then you see the word Lamech, which we just read in verse 19, not to be confused with Lamech in chapter 5, verse 28, who was basically the father of Noah. So we want to make sure that there were certain names that were common, but one line of, came from the line of Cain, who was the ungodly line. The other one came through the godly line of Seth. Okay? Now we look at the genealogy of Seth in chapter 4, verse 25 to 26. And again, I'm building towards something. I want, I'm kind of wanting to give a background so that we can understand what took place and what caused God to say it's time to get, get these people out of here. It's time to remove the evil. It was already happening back here in Genesis chapter 4. Now we see the genealogy of Seth, chapter 4, verse 25 and 26. And uh, if you just read along with me, uh, chapter 25, it says, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God had appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. 
And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. Very key here is because now we're seeing the godly line of, of Adam going through the, the line of Seth, who was an offspring, of course, of Adam and Eve, because Abel was killed and he was the godly one. And though he was killed, it shows that God always brings redeeming v- value to his people. There's always going to be a godly remnant uh, in God's, in God's uh, reign of things. And we see here very simply that Seth now became that godly line. And the word here, Seth, means appointed which is really interesting because it just shows that this was appointed. God had a plan. He wasn't going to leave an ungodly race to continue to populate the earth, that God always has a remnant of his people. And this is really what we see here happening here, that God brought in Seth and he was appointed. The godly line of Adam, God graciously gave Adam and Eve a godly son through whom the seed of redemption. Remember back in Genesis 3.15 when there was uh, the curse and, the God, and God told as the curse, he said, that out of the seed of the woman that uh, we would see the redemption of man. And all of a sudden she's saying here in these words, she says, and God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, knowing, again, she's almost probably remembering in that curse that God promised that there would be a seed that would come forth and be the godly line that where Jesus would eventually come through that line. Okay? And, uh, again, that's, that's our Redeemer. And the genealogy of Christ, if you want to see how this genealogy works, I know it's really boring. When was the last time you got up and go, man, I can't wait to read the genealogy, you know? So Beth begat this person, they begat that person. But if you want to read how this came, in, Gen- in uh, Luke chapter 3, verses 36 to 38, you can just write down in your notes, you can see the genealogy of Christ coming through uh, Mary, and you can see the godly line of Seth and how he came through this, okay? Now, just a couple of notes about the background here. There were nine generations from Adam to Noah. Nine generations had occurred from Adam to Noah. So you can see that there was probably roughly, Noah was the tenth generation, roughly a thousand years uh, with all those generations that had taken place where they began to begat and began to have children. And so the world began to continue to be populated. But now we've got a population of godly race and, of course, we have an ungodly race. Just a couple of things that I thought was interesting. If you look in Genesis chapter 5, real quickly, you see in verse 3, it says that Adam begat Seth, and he lived 120 years before he got Seth. And then he lived another 900, then he lived 930 years. Then in verse 6, it says Seth at 105 begot Enosh, and then he lived 912 years. In verse 9, Enosh was 90 years old when he begot Cain. And then in verse 12, Cain was 70 years old when he begot Mahaliel. Now, if you notice, all these men were did, weren't very old, but as soon as they had children, it seems like they lived a long time. <laughs> we think in our world today, our kids are killing me. But in this, in this day and age, it's interesting because if you look at verse 18, Jared was 162 years old when he begot Enoch. And then he lived to be 962 years old. So he waited a long time. And then in verse 21, we see Enoch begot Methuselah. And what do you know about Methuselah? Hmm? Pretty old. How old? 900 and some years old. 967 years old. And basically, I'm sorry, 969 years old. But it says, Enoch begat Methuselah. He was 65 years old. And then he lived 365. Now look at verse 24 of of Genesis 5. It says, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. 
This is the only break in the chapter because every one of those people that I just named, at a certain age, they begot and they had children and then they died. It says they begot and then they died. They begot and then they died. They begot, almost like a, almost like a song, begot and he died, begot and he died. But this is the only place in, in verse 24 of chapter 5 where there was no death. Enoch passed right into heaven. And I think it's very key here. He, this is the only one, and the only one, the only other man who is said to have enjoyed this kind of intimate relationship to where God, he was so close to God, walking with God. Anybody know who that would be? Look at chapter 6, verse 9. The only other person that can actually say that he walked with God, guess what? Was Noah. Enoch and Noah were the kind of, they had an intimate relationship with God. And the only other man did not taste physical death, but was taken into heaven before he died, or didn't die. Anybody know who that was? Elijah. Remember, Elijah just got whisked up into heaven, never tasted death. Enoch walked with God, and then he was no more, which means God just took him with him, okay? And we'll talk about that in a minute. Now, in verse 25 of, of chapter 5, it says, Methuselah at 187 begot Lamech, and then he lived 969 years, and then at 28 years old, Lamech begot Noah, and Lamech lived 777 years. And then in, in verse 32, Noah was 500 years old when he begot those boys, according to the Word of God here. Uh, he waited a long time. Okay, Now, again, there was 1,056 years between the birth of Adam and the birth of Noah. And, as, and basically, if you did the math and, and did all the background, which I did, I want to let you know that Noah was born 126 years after Adam died. Okay, Because Adam lived a long time, and if you look at the genealogy and, and, and did all the work, the background, you'll discover that Noah was, was born 126 years after Adam died. And Adam was not born. By the way, Adam wasn't born. He was what? He was created. Matter of fact, there's a little thing that I heard and I've shared with people. Uh, an archaeologist went out and he began to unearth all these, and all these things. And he came across these two bodies that were perfectly preserved. I mean, perfect. I mean, you could just tell... But he knew when he looked at these two bodies that they were Adam and Eve. What was it that clued him that they were Adam and Eve? There was something about their bodies. What do you think it was? They didn't have a belly button. Yeah, because they weren't born through a man and woman. They were created. Okay. So just to know that, uh, and again, the best years, there were six generations between Noah and the Tower of Babel, which, by the way, is a part of this uh, Noahic period during that Tower of Babel, which we looked at in Genesis chapter 11. Now, in the Old Testament, there are ten generations between Noah and Abraham. However, according to the detailed genealogies in the book of Genesis, Noah might still have been alive when Abraham was relatively an old man, believe it or not. Okay, Because remember, they lived a long time. And the reason that they lived a long time is, and you, you might want to think, you know what, it's, we're lucky to live 80 or 90 years old today. They lived to be 900 and some years old. Why? Well, why do you think? Why do you think that they were able to live that long? Was there a purpose? What do you think of what the purpose was? How, how would they be able to propagate the world unless they live long enough to be able to propagate the world. 
I mean, if, if they only lived to be 50 to 100 years old, they wouldn't be around very long enough where the, the, the race would die off. So in this particular case, they had to live long enough to where they, beca- they continued to have children over and over again for many, many years. That's how they, they, they populated the world. And again, Noah might still have been alive when Abraham was relatively old man. And Genesis chapter 9, verse 28, indicates that Noah lived another 350 years after the flood. Therefore, he'd be living, according to, the, uh, to our timeline, until Abraham was 60 years old. Abraham was 60 years old when Noah died. Because the scripture says that he lived 350 years after the flood which would put him right about the time at the very end when Abraham came along the, on, the, on the scene. Okay? Now, we're not sure that Abraham was even aware that he even had a living ancestor that in some way would be a testimony to the, 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 the power of God in his life. We don't know that. Okay? The Scripture doesn't tell us that. Okay? All right. Let's go to your notes now. Okay? We're going to look at more of the background and really why the flood occurred. Okay? And if you have your notes... I have to call the difference makers, okay? Because this is really what we're talking about. There's a difference that Noah made by his life. And uh, just, just throw out here, just real quickly, what difference did Noah make in his world? Did he make a difference? What difference did he make? Anybody? He obeyed God, and as a result, the world changed. I mean, let's face it. Uh, the world changed drastically after the flood because all these people were gone. And, and he basically was the sole uh, person who basically began to preach righteousness when the rest of the world was going literally to the dogs. Okay? And by the way, notice that I have the word mundo cani. Anybody know what that word means? There's a movie years and years ago it was called Mundo Cani. It means it's an Italian phrase that means a world gone to the dogs. So if you want to write that down in parentheses, because that's what we're talking about, because that was the basic background as to why God did what he did. Now looking at your notes, Genesis 6, 1 through 22, and uh, your note says, The abounding iniquity of the world, Genesis chapter 2, two verses four, 2 through 5. Let's just go ahead and read that, Genesis 6, 2 through 5. Okay, and it says that the sons of God saw... Okay, verse 1. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Now, how bad was the world? Mundo Kani. It was a world gone to the dogs. A world that was filled with iniquity. Look at verse 5 again. It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was on evil continually. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great upon the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of the heart was was only evil continually. That's in verse 11 and 12. Every thought from the time they got up in the morning, literally, if you want to take this literally, from the time they got up in the morning to the time they went to bed at night, their thoughts were on evil continually. I wanted you to paint a picture here of how bad things were. 
where God was finally saying, and he said, I don't, this is the word of God. It says, every intent, every thought of the imagination was on evil. I mean, this is a wicked place. And a lot of this was because of what happened here in this, in this verses here. Exodus 34, verse 7. Let me just read it. It says, Yet he will be by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Now looking at your notes. This is the time to fill in your notes. When sin enters our life and it gains a foothold, it opens the door of our life to every kind of evil and immorality, which ultimately leads to destruction. Okay? You can fill in those blanks. Okay? When sin enters our life, and you can see that sin was pre- pre- prevalent, very, very prevalent here in these passages. When sin enters our life and gains a foothold, and it obviously did, it opens the door of our life to every kind of evil and immorality, which ultimately leads to destruction. How many of you know the name Susan Atkins? Does that name mean anything to you? Susan Atkins, Charles Manson, does that ring a bell? Susan Atkins was a part of the Charles Manson uh, group that basically killed Sharon Tate, and we're talking many, many years ago. Um, <clears throat> Susan Atkins was uh, a year behind me in my class, in my high school. And when you hear what she did in that tragedy at that time, you would think that was a pretty wicked lady. And she really wasn't. In high school, I don't recall her being anything more. She, you know, she liked to party, but so did a lot of people. But what happened is she never had the influence of godliness. Her father lived in the Bay Area, never saw her. Her mother could care less about her. She was raised by grandparents. And when she turned 18, she left home, and she became under the influence of this particular man. And some way, this man's his evilness, his wickedness, began to influence her to the point of actually doing something that I don't think she would have ever done. Man, who knows? But knowing her like I did, I never would have seen her be go to the point of actually taking a knife and literally she was confessed that she was actually the one who stabbed uh, Sharon Tate and she was pregnant and actually killed both her and her, and her infant. So, but sin is deceitful and it can take us where we never could ever imagine. And we begin to see that this was the wickedness that was going on in this day, okay? Sin is deceitful. It begins so innocently. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it come the issues of life. Okay? Now let's look back at first, verse 2 here, because there's a little bit of conjecture as to really what was going on here in verse 2. It says, The sons of God identified elsewhere almost exclusively as angels. Okay? If you look at Job chapter 1, verse 6, and chapter 2, verse 1, uh, they saw and took the wives of human people. They took the wives of the human race. And this produced an unnatural union which basically violated the laws of God. And basically, the ordination of of the proper marriage between a man and a woman, these were probably, could be, some believe to be angelic beings who basically began to inhabit uh, men. And uh, basically, we know what Scripture says and that Jesus said that angels neither marry nor, nor are given in marriage. We know that. But Jesus never indicated that they couldn't possess a human and possibly act out through a human being. And that possibly is what happened here where these angels began to possess because wickedness was flourishing upon the earth, which means that there could have been a lot of demonic oppression or possession to the point where these angels, these demonic beings were inhabiting men and they were coming down and they were having sex with uh, the, the races or with what, the godly race of man and they began to produce. And this was, of course, an unnatural union here. 
and it suggests that perhaps it could be human kings wanting to build harems, but the passage puts strong emphasis on the angelic versus the human contrast, okay? In Jude chapter 6, if you want to look a little bit about what happened in eternity, in Jude chapter 6 says this, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Which indicated that way back in eternity, angels left their realm where they should have been and God had to place them in a holding tank in a sense until one day when God's going to release them to uh, bring judgment upon them. And these could be those angels who did not keep their proper abode and their domain and they came to inhabit the earth and do things that were ungodly and, and, uh, and just wrong, okay? Matthew 22, verse 30, Jesus did not negate the possibility that angels are capable of sexual immorality, but just that they could not marry. But that the, obviously they could obviously possess human bodies, which means that they could come into a human body and actually have sex. And that's pretty much what would probably happen here. Verse 2. Now look at verse 2. Verse 2 says that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. What was their sole attraction by these angelic beings or these men? They were solely attracted to the outward beauty, and that was it. They saw women as beautiful and went after their beauty. They chose only by what their eyes could see, could care less about what the person was about. Okay? All I can say is there's something to the point when we're only attracted to the outward without looking at who the, where the heart is. Okay? Which, if you uh, are in the single world today, you've heard both myself and my wife, Terry, talk about how important it is to get to know somebody. Not just their body, but get to know them as a person. So often we see today in our world, and it's just, it's just the dating scene today isn't working. I'm not going to take a long time on this, but I'm just going to say this. The dating world isn't working very well today because it's the precursor to marriage. And we see the marriage falling down. And the precursor to marriage is dating. And if dating was working, we'd probably see marriage is doing pretty good. But what's happening is we're finding time and again that people are getting married or are jumping into relationships before they get to know the person. And all we're trying to say is, and I would say, is that get to know the other person before you get involved. Okay? These angels could care less about what these women, who they were. They were attracted to their outward beauty. They saw them as beautiful and they went after their beauty. Could care less about them as people, okay? Verses 4 and 5, it was all about their outward appearance and just having sex. Now, point number 2 in your notes. God's just wrath and his resolution to punish it. Verse 3 says, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. Okay? Looking at your notes, God's grace will someday come to an end. Okay? Fill that in. God's grace will someday come to an end, and that's for the unrepentant. There will come a day, the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it says, it is appointed unto man to die once, and after that, the judgment. So if we haven't come to Christ, we haven't repented, basically there's going to come a day when that's over, okay? And hopefully we, uh, we make the right decision to know Christ. Verses 6 and 7, and it says that, and it repented the Lord that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. Now, if you have the King James Version, it says God repented. Now, it doesn't mean that God repents because that would mean he's sinned. But in the translation that's correct is that God was sorry that he created man because he began to see the wickedness of man and began to go, oh, man, I, <laughs> I'm so sorry I created this race. 
and he, he basically was, wished that he hadn't done it, in, in essence here. So, now, in, in the NIV, it correctly translates it, and the Lord was sorry that he'd made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Because God doesn't change. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So we know that he didn't repent because he doesn't change. And he's, not, he's not a God that sins, so there's no reason for him to repent. Verse 7, this is where God says, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. God promised total destruction when his patience ran out. Okay? God gives a lot of grace, but there does come a time when God says, okay, it's time the hammer is going to come down. Judgment is going to be there. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 11 says, When evil is allowed to go unpunished, it will continue to spread. It's just like cancer. If cancer is not stopped in your body, it's going to continue to spread until it kills you. And this is what was going on here. When there's unrepentance and evil is allowed to flourish, if it's unchecked, it will continue to spread. And God was saying, I've I've had enough. This evil was so rampant that God finally said. And you know, the scripture talks about God as a jealous God. And we sometimes have a struggle with that word. But can I tell you what the jealousy of God really is referring to? He loves us so much, but he hates the thing that keeps us from him. It would be the same as you love your child. I'm going to paint a picture. You love your child, but if you saw your child with cancer, wouldn't you hate the cancer? that's destroying your, your, your daughter or your son? Absolutely. It's the same thing. God hates the sin that's destroying the world, and his jealousy has to finally make a judgment against that sin that's causing his world to go to the dogs, which is what was happening here. Okay? Um, and again, Genesis 6 through 11 and 12 said, number, point number three in your notes, God protects and defends the righteous with his abundant grace. Noah was saved from the impending judgment about to destroy mankind. Why was Noah saved from the destruction that was about to happen? Here's those points. You can go through it in your notes. Number one, verse 8. Look at verse 8, and it says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So the point there is Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Noah and his family are the only exceptions to that destruction, what was about to happen to the world. Why is that? Verse 9 says, Noah was a just man. Point number one, you can fill that in. Noah was a just man. And the word there is ishtasidik, which is in the Hebrew, which means he was a man who gave everything to his God. He gave it all. That's what that word in the Hebrew means, ishtasidik. It means he gave it all. That was the kind of man. He was a just man. Point number two in verse nine said he was a perfect man in his generation. Now, becoming, he doesn't mean he was perfect. He never made a mistake. He was sinless. It just means, in essence, that he was consistent in his character and he never departed from the truth that always sought to trust his God. Okay? That doesn't, doesn't make you perfect, but, but, but his character was pure. He was, a, he was a, a man who sought to honor God and be obedient to his God. Okay, point number three, verse nine, he walked with God. He was not only righteous in his behavior and his conduct, but he had continual communion with God. Sounds like uh, somebody we heard of a little earlier in our, in our chapter here. His great-great-grandfather, Enoch, was the same way. Point number four, and that goes down, look at verse 22. Point number four is in verse 22, which says this, Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. So point number four, he was obedient to all God commanded. He was a man of faith. God said, do this. He did it. Okay? Now, 
The world would seek to mock and ridicule the righteous who walk with God. That's going to happen. Whenever you seek to walk with God, the world's going to look at you and go, you're weird. But that doesn't matter. If you're a man of God or a woman of God, you're willing to take that, um, those accusations. Okay? Now, true godliness, again, looking at your notes, true godliness will always seek the favor of God over the ridicule and opposition of man. Okay? If you're really walking with God, even though you may get some darts thrown at you in this world, ultimately, you're going to be more concerned about what God thinks of you rather than the world. Okay? Now, page two. Flip over to the back. Page two. God looks down upon those with an eye of favor who sincerely look up to him with an eye of faith. Let me repeat that. God looks down upon those with an eye of favor who sincerely look up to him with an eye of faith. Okay? So it's easy to look and act spiritual when it seems fashionable. But true spirituality is when our faith swims against the ways of the world and we maintain our resolve to follow God at all costs. It's really easy when we come to Cornerstone or when you come to church because there is, it's a great, it's a safe environment and you're with Christians and it's great to be. But really what takes place when we get out of the setting of the church and we begin to engage the world is really how our behavior is really going to be reflected in that area, okay? Now there's some principles to live by, okay, that I think are reflected in the life of, of, uh, of Noah. Number one, when wickedness and evil become the norm, judgment and ruin is not far off. Okay? Fill that in. Number one, when wickedness and evil become the norm, judgment and ruin is not far off. Number two, we are to marry according to God's will and not our own. Okay, what do I mean by that? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 says that we are not to be mismated with an unbeliever. Do you know how many times in my working with singles in 25 years, and I've married, I've probably performed 150 marriages or performed... How many times I've heard somebody say, well, I will win them to Jesus. I'll win them to God. you know how many times that becomes reality? Most of the time, if you marry a non-Christian, they're probably going to bring you down. That's why God makes it very clear. If you're a believer, marry a believer because you have something in common. Okay? It's very, very clear. So when we want to do it our own way, okay, when we get involved and we get our things going on and the romanticism and all that kind of stuff blinds us many times to what's really going on, okay? And 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 8 is a wonderful passage, especially for single people. It talks about how to really take a... I'm, I like the RSV translation here. Forgive me if you're not an RSV fan, which I know. It says, know how to take a wife for yourself and all holiness and honor and not like the lust of the heathen who don't know God, okay? That's the will of God, to be able to possess your vessel in a way that honors God and not to go outside of anything like the rest of the world does. Okay? Point number three. Nothing is hidden from the eyes of God. According to this scripture, he saw the intents and the thoughts of mankind and saw that everything they thought about was evil and wicked, which was the precursor to the judgment that would come in the flood. And number four. Guard your heart and your mind. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 says, The heart is wicked and above all else, who can understand it? Many times we think our heart is what's telling us what to do, but if our heart is contrary to the Word of God, it can deceive us. Now, follow me here. Watch your thoughts, they become words. Watch your words, they become actions. Watch your actions, they become habits. Watch your habits, they become character. Character. 
and watch your character. It becomes your destiny. Shall I repeat that again? Watch your thoughts. They become words. Watch your words. They become actions. Watch your actions. They become habits. Watch your habits. They become character. And watch your character. It becomes your destiny. When you think of people that have had good character and it's reflected by their life, who do you think of? Throw out some names, please. Who do you think of when you think of a person who has character that reflects these, these qualities? Can you name anybody? Billy Graham. Thank you. Anybody else? Mother Teresa. Absolutely. Who else? Excuse me? I'm sorry. Oh, your parents. Absolutely. If you've got godly parents, absolutely. Okay? Now, I know he's... Forgive me here. I mean, he's outside probably what we believe, but Mahatma Gandhi would probably be one that you'd say he was a person of character, even though he may not have been in whatever, but that's okay. I'm not here to debate that. Uh, but yes, I mean, there's people uh, that we would bring up in our lives, hopefully people that you know of that say, you know what? This is a kind of behavior that God looks for. Okay? Now... Just real quickly, uh, when it comes to the flood, the Bible says that God called Noah to build the ark with gopher, gopher wood. Anybody know what gopher wood's about? What that is? Good, because if you know it, you know, you know better than every theologian, because the Bible really doesn't say what the gopher wood was. Uh, it's kind of obscure, but the best that I've been able to come up with is that gopher wood was either cypress or cedar but in some way it was a substance of wood that was rot-proof. Well, that would be pretty obvious because when you see how long that, that the ark had to stay on the waters, uh, if it wasn't, because water can rot wood really quickly. But this kind of wood was obviously rot-proof and it was durable to be able, and it had supposedly some kind of a pitch inside that wood that kept it from being able to be overcome by the water. Okay? Now, let's talk a little bit about Noah's sons. Anybody know this, this, the sons' names? Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Okay, when the waters receded after the flood and they began to disperse, do you all know where they went? Our, the rest of the world was populated through those three men. And some of you may not know which one of those you came from. And I'm about to tell you. Are you ready for that? I'll tell you where they came from because the scripture says it. And with the time that we have, you can study it for yourself. But they went in three different directions. Now, basically, Japheth went out into what we would call today the European world. And which is where, if you're from Europe, whether it be Spain, Italy, Germany, and all that, England, the European world, if your ancestry came from there, then you came from the line of Japheth. Because Japheth was also where he was the conqueror. And if you study his lineage, uh, you will find that Alexander the Great came through, the, uh, through Japheth. And Japheth, again, he was the conqueror. He was the explorer. He's the ones that went out. And guess what happened? Our American colonies were a part of the European, they, the expansion. They were conquerors. They were, they were willing to go out, okay? And so Japheth came through the line of, or, we, or so Europe came through his line. Then we have, of course, the um, Ham. Now, if you looked at the scriptures, you're going to find that Ham was kind of the cursed one because of what he did with his father when, he, when his father was in the tent and his father was drunk and probably not in a good way. Uh, Ham did something. We don't really know what he did, but in some way, 
he did something to his father that was inappropriate and sinful. And when Noah came out of that stupor, whatever he was in, he realized that uh, Ham dishonored him. And so Ham was cursed. And Ham became what we would now know either as the African nations, where it went to Africa, or into the Asian nations, okay? So if you're associated, that's where it came from. But God is the Redeemer, so we know all these things are redeemed. Well, what about Shem? Shem is where the godly line of the race is, the, the Jewish line. Now, that's where we get the word Semite, came from the word Shem, Shem, Semite. So the godly nation went through the line of, of Shem, and that's where basically the lineage went into where Jesus would eventually come through that, that line. And as a matter of fact, one of the sons of Shem was Eber, if you read in the genealogy, and Eber is where we get the word Hebrew, okay? So there's, this is just a quick synopsis because of the time that we have to be able to kind of give you a, a little bit of a background as to kind of where... Because the whole world was populated through those three men. <laughs> so we, we came from there somewhere. So wherever you may fit in that, in that line, now you kind of know where you came from. You go, hey, guess what? Grandpa was Japheth. All right. I know who I'm, I'm from there. So anyway, um, and also uh, it's really important that we realize that, that, uh, that God is a God who redeems. And basically, even though there was uh, horrible things that went on in the world, I think it just shows that, that God is a God of mercy because he allowed the things that went on in the world, which was wicked, he allowed it to go on for a long time. And as a matter of fact, in the scriptures, it says that, that God even waited seven more days uh, to hope that maybe some of them would respond. And uh, there are some, some thoughts here uh, that the scripture was that indicates that Noah... Uh, spent 100 to 120 years preaching and asking or letting these people know, we're going to build an ark that's going to rain. And basically, the Scripture says in Hebrews that God warned them about things that had never occurred. Rain hadn't even occurred upon the earth yet. So when we have, we really are trusting God for those things that we don't even know or are happening. I mean, if, you, if God was saying, hey, it's going to rain and you've never seen rain, you're going, rain, okay, what? What is that? What does that look like? God says it's going to rain. So that's the kind of man he was. He was a man who honored God. He trusted God even with the unknown. And that's why God honored him. And so, but just know that, that God sees our hearts. He sees the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. And, and, and that's, a, that's a good thing. That's why in Psalm 139, 23, and 24, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me. Know my thoughts. See if there be any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God looks at our hearts, and I would pray that you would also, maybe every day, have a time when you can say, God, look, take the searchlight of your Holy Spirit and look upon my heart. If there's anything that's not what you want, I would pray that you would show me what that is. Because God looks at our hearts. He sees what's there. That's why he even spoke to, uh, uh, to Samuel when Samuel was conflicted about who God was going to choose. And, and God said, hey, man looks on the outward, but I look upon the heart. And that's why he could see the wickedness in Saul's heart and that he wasn't going to be a very good king. But he looked at David's heart and saw that he was a man that could be trusted. So God looks on the heart. And so, um, uh, it, you know, it doesn't mean that we don't have an outward appearance, but the most important thing is, and, um, and by the way, just in talking about outward appearance, if any of you have not seen the interview with Dustin Hoffman in regards to the movie Tootsie, how many of you have seen that video in YouTube? Ooh, you need to do that. 
And now I'm not propagating here Dustin Hoffman in any way. He was interviewed. How many of you remember the movie Tootsie? Okay. He played a woman in the movie Tootsie. He had an interview. It's no more than three to five minutes. Go to YouTube at home and, and, and put in Dustin Hoffman Tootsie. And I think it's three to five minutes. And listen to that man who will open your eyes to what he learned about what it meant to be a woman. You know, us guys, we don't know what it's like to be a woman. Do we want to? <laughs> anyway. Or <laughs> do women, do you want to be a man? Anyway. But anyway, that's, that, that's basically what we're going to go through today. Um, uh, there's a lot more to cover, and I'm sure that uh, Chris will cover a lot more. But I wanted to really do a background as to really what was the precursor to the judgment and which caused God to finally say, I'm done. It's time to judge. It's time to rid this world of evil and sin. And for some of you who may go, well, doesn't that sound, doesn't sound like a loving God? Yeah, it is. If you understand that God is a holy God and that he desires purity and holiness, and when that isn't there, he will get rid of the cancer because he wants his people to be pure. And so that's a loving God. Um, I'm going to take a, a few more minutes maybe to answer any questions that some of you may have. Can't guarantee I'll give you an, an answer. If I don't know it, I'll tell you. But is any, are there any answer or <laughs> any questions that you may have uh, that you may want to ask at this particular point? Did I do that good a job? Oh, my gosh. Please. Okay. Did you say that uh, there were sons and daughters of Adam and Eve before Cain and Abel? No. It was probably... Well, that's a good question. Uh, if I said that, I didn't mean to imply that. Basically, the Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel. That was their first two children. And uh, basically, they had to have other children. Again, the scripture doesn't say that, but it had to be because when Cain killed Abel, all of a sudden he was being distributed out into the world and he was concerned that people were going to kill him. Well, who were these people? They had to be people that were in some way were already, uh, at the time of Cain and Abel, there were other sons and daughters that had to be. Uh, so uh, I'm saying that probably Cain was quite a bit older when this happened. That would be the only way I could kind of come to common sense on that because where did these people come from? Uh, you know, they didn't come from outer space. They had to be there as a part of Adam and Eve's progeny. Okay? What was the name of Noah's third son, and which part of the world did he populate? Uh, there was Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Those are the three. Shem? Shem. That's where the godly line came. That, that We call it the Semites. came from the word Shem. That was the Jewish line. Uh, that came through the godly race where Jesus would eventually come through. Anybody else? This is probably a silly question, but... There's no silly questions. <laughs> back in that time, if they lived that many years... Were they like little kids for the first hundred years and then they were teenagers for another hundred years? Or <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, I, all I know is that they lived a long time and whether or not in their early ages that they progressed quickly. The scripture doesn't really say, but it's, it's a great thought to think about though. Yeah, thank you. We got one over here. Oh, over there. Do you know what the um, childbearing... 
That's a great question. I, I, would, I thought about that today. The only way I got to say is that if, if the men lived that long, the women had to too. And I would imagine they just kept having babies. Doesn't that sound great, women, to just have babies for hundreds of years? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, hey, Jason. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> hey, I um, just had this uh, particular thought as you were discussing um, about the, how long... Uh, like Methuselah lived, et cetera, et cetera. And I was just wondering if you could shed more light on to um, how much sin actually played a part in their lifespan. I had learned or had heard uh, sometime in the past that another reason why they actually lived as long as they did was the fact that they were obedient to God, et cetera, et cetera. So he actually extended their lives or... Are we actually saying that 600 to you know 800 years is the norm um, back in that time frame? Um, I would have to go with the latter, only because you still see that the, the ungodly line of Cain still progressed and had a lot of the years. I think God just created the human body to last that long because it had to. Uh, and, that, and that really does make sense more in that area. But I'm, I'm not aware that, that there was anything more than that. But that's a great question, Jason. Thank you. Yes? Uh-huh. With women, mm-hmm. uh, to be with women. So my question is: I assume they would take uh, human form. Would they be able to conceive with those women? Would they be able to what? Conceive. I, I would yes, because that's why they they they, they had children. But my f- understanding is because angels could not marry or be given in marriage, but they could also inhabit a body. And because of the wickedness that was going on, there was a good chance that there was these angels that had fallen and out of their abode, which we read in Jude, that they maybe inhabited men who were ungodly and were open to these beings. And these beings were able to work through their bodies. So, yeah, those bodies were able to produce children, yeah. Yes. So my question is... Oh, there you are, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So my question is, back during the time of Adam and Eve, uh-huh. At that time, it was okay for brothers and sisters to marry, and it became, I guess, illegal according to God's word in Deuteronomy through the Jewish time frame. Yes, that changed uh, when when it got into Deuteronomy, and uh, men d- and women didn't live as long. But um, yeah, it, at that particular time, there was uh, the the blood issues in terms of the brothers and sisters that are issues today that w- would be really bad did not were not there at that time. They couldn't be because they couldn't have been able to, because the only people that they could, uh, inter, you know, have bear children with were their brothers and sisters. And so God had to make sure that, that the bloodline wasn't going to be an issue in that area. But that did change, and that's when you're talking about in Deuteronomy. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah, it was a lot of people. Yeah, because you figure it's at least a thousand years in there when they were continuing to have children, and there was many of them that continued to you know have children and propagate the earth. That's why God said, you know, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and so it was happening. Do you know is there any Christian research done to identify? 
Yeah, and I, I don't have anything right offhand that I could tell you ex- exactly uh, as to how many there would be on this earth, but there were there had to be a lot. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so there was um, Adam and or Adam had his sons, and Seth was the the godly line, mm-hmm. and then they had the other line that wasn't. But when the flood came, there had to have been godly people still on earth. Yes. And it wiped out the godly people as well as the ungodly people. Yeah, because the line of Seth eventually was infiltrated by the ungodly line, and that's what happened. So it just shows you that even as Christians, as we're godly, we can be influenced by the ungodly. And that's why God says just be careful to, you know, uh, do not marry an unbeliever. So those are just one of the ways that we can... Be careful there. So uh, we got one more minute, and then people need to go to Kaboom, and the Kaboom people won't be Kabooming me if I don't get, to get out of here by 8 o'clock. So any, maybe one more question? Yes. I would say so, yeah. At 300 years old, they still had 600 more years to go. So they, they could have been just going through adolescence. Who knows, you know? So good question. Uh, we need to uh, close. If you have any more questions, I'm going to be up here after if you want to come up. But we need to close because people need to go to Kaboom and pick up their kids. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have to study your word and to understand that, Lord, that your word is true. Uh, maybe take the heart the fact that, uh, that Lord, that in, in this day and age, in the Noah time of Noah, that there was unrighteousness that went on. But... Lord, your judgment was true and pure because you desire a godliness. You'd, and you wanted to take the cancer out of this world to create a pure world that we can live in. And even today, God, may we seek your face and thank you for your word. And thank you for your Holy Spirit that gives us truth and the ability to be able to live the life that you want us to live. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you very much.